Welcome to Dinger Derby, the only podcast completely devoted to Texas Tech baseball. Join your host, Keith Patrick, every week for team news, guests, ranking updates, and game reports. From opening weekend all the way through Omaha, we'll be hitting taters with the Red Raiders all season long. This is Dinger Derby. Welcome into the Dinger Derby podcast, the only podcast devoted 100% to the Big 12 champion Texas Tech Red Raider baseball team. That's right, the Red Raiders clinched that Big 12 championship this weekend, taking two of three from TCU. The Baylor Bears lost two in a row to Oklahoma State. Third game was canceled on the count of some clouds, and the Red Raiders end up winning it all as far as the Big 12 conference is concerned. We'll dive into this series and talk about how it went, hosting the Horn Frogs, what that looked like all the way through, some exciting baseball there to discuss. Also, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about where the Red Raiders rank in the Big 12. you got a Big 12 Player of the Year announcement coming up, and they'll be heading to Oklahoma City to play at the Chickasaw Bricktown Ballpark in the Big 12 Tournament. So the Horn Frogs come to town on Thursday to face the Red Raiders, and it was a 100% pitching duel all the way across. Just crazy what you were seeing there all the way through that game. I was on a call for high school baseball and was following that one, giving updates all the way through our broadcast. Just couldn't believe what we were seeing. Zeros all the way across the board through the 10th inning. Neither team scored a run until the 11th, where they both scored a run. You hang two more zeros top and bottom through the 12th and 13th, and ultimately TCU breaks through with a couple of runs in the 14th to take the game 3-1. 14 innings on a Thursday night. The game time ended up being well over four hours. It was definitely a long one. It started at 6.35. That game wasn't over until after 11 p.m., if I recall correctly. So let's look at this game just a little bit. There's obviously not a whole lot of action to recap through the game, but Nick Lodolo got the start for TCU. He came in with the best ERA on the team for the Horned Frogs, undoubtedly the ace of that staff. He had a 218 or so ERA walking into the game. He walked out of there, obviously had pitched a shutout for them. Lodolo was just absolute money. You know, there was a lot of talk on Twitter, a lot of people gnashing of teeth after that game. It's a long game, 14 innings, lots of baseball, little mistakes here and there are always going to happen, little lapses in execution. But man, you cannot take anything away from Nick Lodolo, who walks up there on that bump. He's going 95 plus as a left-hander throwing sidearm. He had an absolute plus-plus slider. You can't take anything away from him. It's not like the bats weren't working. Lodolo was just absolutely stellar on the night. So Lodolo goes eight innings pitched, five hits, no runs, no walks, and strikes out 13 in his outing. Just an unbelievable performance by him. But, of course, nothing taken away from Micah Dallas either, who gets the start for the Red Raiders. Dallas goes seven innings pitched, his longest outing of the season. He gives up seven hits but no runs, two walks, and then eight Ks. He threw 96 total pitches. Micah Dallas was stellar, and he worked his way out of a couple jams in that game, even with runners all the way around to third and still limiting the Horn Frogs to nothing. So Micah Dallas really did a solid job for the Red Raiders. A couple of frustrating things for Texas Tech, and you know you have to give a lot of it to Lodolo as far as the credit goes. You did leave 16 stranded in the game. TCU left 11. Red Raiders only hit 250 on the day, 14 of 56 overall. 
They hit 222 with two outs, which was better than TCU. They hit 222 with runners on. That was better than TCU, where they were lacking was runners in scoring position, only hitting 133. They did hit 286 in the leadoff, the same as TCU did. They were over with bases loaded. They hit 321 with advancement opportunities. TCU did a little bit better in that category at 391. And as far as hitting versus left-handed pitching, the Red Raiders only at a 216. TCU hit 333 against the left-handed pitching that they saw. I can't sit here and nitpick the game because obviously there's some batting numbers that you wish were better there. There's a couple of fielding mistakes that go on or a base running mistake here and there. But what it came down to with the Red Raiders is facing fantastic pitching through most of the night. It was a pitcher's duel pure and simple. It was a fantastic baseball game, a lot of fun to listen to and watch. And that's what you really have to enjoy from it. They come into regular season series finale against TCU, who's become a rival in this league in baseball, and you just enjoy a fantastic long night of baseball, and that's just a lot of fun, top to bottom. And I know that some of you out there are shaking your head saying, he's just pumping sunshine, he's not talking about sending a runner when they shouldn't have, or Braxton Fulford getting crossed up trying to complete a strikeout at first. But you know what it comes down to is occasionally there are things that happen, or you take a chance when you're coaching third base and you get burned. I mean, those things happen. If that game goes the other direction, you're not talking about that stuff at all. Um, So it's just the way baseball goes sometimes. And I really just enjoyed the game itself and what it all was and what it meant all the way around. And then what you enjoy even more is that this team bounces back the next day. But I don't want to forget to mention a couple of other pitchers. Taylor Floyd turns in two really nice innings in relief of Micah Dallas. Three hits, no runs, one walk and four Ks in his outing. Dane Havman turns in an inning and a third. He does give up a run. But then John McMillan, who ultimately gives up the two runs that do win the game, and he earns the loss. But he turns in three excellent innings pitched, only gives up two hits. Unfortunately, those are the two earned runs. He had six Ks. John McMillan has really been strong in all of the outings he's had in the last few weeks. Really nice seeing him. Clayton Beater also had a nice outing there at the end. Two-thirds of an inning pitch. Gave up one hit and a walk, but got a strikeout and didn't give up any runs either. It's good to see that pitching come out. You went a little deeper in your bullpen than you wanted to in a game one. Just You stay out there for so long, but of course TCU had to do the same working through pitching, and ultimately they do get the victory, but you know that they've been depleted as well. You did see a couple of pitchers in almost every game. Milbauer, who closed it out for them on Thursday, did come back and pitch again in the Saturday series finale. But on Friday, the Red Raiders come out swinging. They plate one in the first. They're quiet in the second, as is TCU. TCU ties it up in the top of the third, but the Red Raiders answer with two in the bottom of the third, two more in the fourth, and then it's over from there. They both plate one in the seventh. Red Raiders one more in the eighth. But they end up winning 7-2. to two. They out-hit the Horn Frogs 11-8. to eight. Red Raiders do get the only error of the game. And they leave six stranded to TCU's four. But those numbers that we like to talk about, those comparison numbers, looked much better for the Red Raiders. They hit 344 on the night, 333 with two outs, 250 with runners on the pond, but 333 with runners in scoring position, a big improvement there. Hit 375 in the leadoff, 471 with runners in advancement opportunities, and they hit 500 against left-handed pitching in the Friday game. The score in the first... So you start off the scoring with Gabe Holt. He steps in the box and takes the first one for a strike and then swings at the next, and it's a second-pitch home run to put the Red Raiders up one to nothing. 
In the third, Gabe Holt hits you a single and then gets to second on a balk. Dylan Noisy doubles to center field, scoring Holt from second. And then Brian Klein singles to center field, and he scores Noisy from second. So once again, the the speed on the base paths of the Red Raiders, as well as being opportunistic and hitting situationally, was exactly what they needed, especially in that third inning. When you go into the fourth, the Red Raiders played two more, this time with two outs. Kurt Wilson homers to center field for the solo shot, and he is followed up immediately by Parker Kelly with a home run to left center. So two two two-out home runs by Wilson and Kelly give you two more runs in the fourth. And not to be forgotten, Cody Masters flew out to deep, deep center field. He was probably about three feet of distance on that ball from homering himself. So That was a really nice little showing there. Really fun to see Kurt Wilson and Parker Kelly celebrating. They were really excited about those hits. Kurt Wilson, the Red Raiders, after this series, are now 7-1 and since he has started in left field. He has been a fantastic addition, and I think Parker Kelly has been a really great fill-in at third base after moving Josh Young over to shortstop. Any mistakes Kelly's made have been pretty small and really just based on experience more than anything else, letting a foul ball go that ends up being called fair, that gives up some bases, things of that nature, but really nothing egregious. He shows good arm strength, good movement, a good first step towards the base. It's a tough spot to play over there, and he has filled in admirably, I think. As I said, the Red Raiders tack on one more in the seventh. Braxton Fulford had a leadoff walk in that inning, and Gabe Holt singles to the shortstop, legs that out, advancing Fulford to second. Dylan Noisy reaches on a fielder's choice. Gabe Holt's out, but Fulford advances to third. And then Brian Klein with a sack fly RBI to score Braxton Fulford. So once again, patience at the plate pays off for the Red Raiders. Braxton Fulford has been much more of a weapon at the plate this season than we had seen previously. It will be nice to continue to see him play as he's only a sophomore. You'll have him around for another year. I don't know how he did it, but Braxton Fulford played all 14 innings of the Thursday game, came back and played the entire Friday game and the Saturday game. I expected Fulford maybe to get a rest and not have the start on Friday. Maybe you'd see Minzy back there, then you bring Fulford in, you know, in the second half of the game, something to that effect. But he played the whole thing. He caught all three of those long games and just absolutely impressive that he's able to get back there and do that. Really speaks to his conditioning as well. And then in the eighth, the final run for the Red Raiders, Cameron Warren with a leadoff walk. Cody Masters singles to left field and advances Cameron Warren around. Kurt Wilson reaches on a fielder's choice, and Masters is out at second. But then once again, you advance Cameron Warren to third. Wilson comes behind him and steals second. Parker Kelly walks. Then Braxton Fulford hits into a fielder's choice as well. That scores Cameron Warren. So once again, at RBI there. It is on a ground out in the infield, but that's all right. A run scored is a run scored. So... As far as pitching goes in Game 2, Caleb Killian was absolutely fantastic once again. Seven innings pitched, six hits, two runs, both earned, one walk, seven strikeouts in his 89 pitches. Looked really, really good on the day. Connor Queen also excellent in relief. Two innings pitched of two-hit shutout baseball. He had one strikeout in there, so fired up. Queen actually fielded the final hit of the game. He fields a grounder coming back to him, and he runs it all the way to first. He was at fired up to finish that game for Texas Tech. It was so fun to watch him. And Caleb Killian has really settled in. I had a question from somebody sitting near me. You know, do you think 
Killian or Micah Dallas is the ace of this staff right now. Man, Killian just feels so consistent right now. He's so settled in and dialed in. Feels pretty automatic. His stuff is just working. He's so within himself, so settled, so calm, cool, and collected out there. I love the fire of Micah Dallas. I think he is going to be an impressive weapon for the Red Raiders. And I think that you're not going to go wrong with either answer as far as who the ace is. But man, Caleb Killian looked fantastic. It was a nice night for the Red Raiders. It was a fun one as well in that Friday night game and really a beautiful night at the ballpark. Walking into Saturday, things got a little bit interesting. So as I mentioned previously on the podcast and earlier episodes, because Baylor and the University of Texas had to cancel a game for weather earlier in the season, you could no longer look at conference records as the determiner of who was in the lead. You had to look at winning percentage. I know that those sound like the same thing, but they're not because they're the only equal comparison when teams are not playing the same number of games. So once again, you see another cancellation this weekend, and that throws things out of whack. The Red Raiders came into the weekend behind Baylor a half a game. So basically, walking in, you knew Texas Tech needed to win one more game than Baylor did, who was on the road to in Stillwater in order to win the conference. Well, the Red Raiders dropped game one, but Baylor did as well. They got routed by Oklahoma State 16-4 to in their first game of the weekend. Baylor also lost... The second game, 5-4, to four, so when the Red Raiders won theirs, you knew that the scenarios were starting to look in Texas Tech's favor. There was some outside chances of this and that, but the best opportunity was the Red Raiders could go win and you weren't going to have to worry about much else. But then Baylor and the Cowboys canceled their Saturday game due to weather. So now, once again, you have teams that have less games played. Baylor with two less played than the rest of the conference. And there was a potential then, if Texas Tech lost the game to TCU on Saturday, their winning percentage in the conference would have dropped down, I believe, to 625. So even though they would have won two more games than the Baylor Bears and had the series win over the Bears, they still would have been second in the Big 12 Conference. They would have had the number one seed due to the tiebreaker in the conference tournament, but would not have been the regular season conference champion. So absolutely ridiculous that these sorts of scenarios play out in the Big 12. There's really no reason in the number two RPI conference, one of the elite college baseball conferences, there's no reason that this conference can't make up games. It just doesn't make any sense to not be able to make up a conference game, to stay an extra day, to move to a different site. Coach Tadlock even talked about this in the post-game press conference Saturday night, saying, you know, why not just go to Bricktown and play a game there? They could have walked in. Everybody gets there on Monday anyway. Just let them play there in Bricktown and go ahead and get their game in, especially when you have implications for the championship. Now, nobody could catch Texas Tech at this point. If they won in this scenario, they won the conference, but if they'd lost, they wouldn't have. And that's just silly that a canceled game due to weather or field conditions could affect the outcome of an entire conference race that way. That's just silly to me. And that the tiebreaker, the head-to-head on-the-field tiebreaker from the season that, that should determine which team is better than the other that would have had no bearing whatsoever on the actual championship in the regular season. It just affects seeding in the conference tournament. That makes no sense to me. But So you walk in with a little bit of drama, and as Coach Tadlock also talked about, the first time that I can remember that you walk in with basically no margin for error. You win, you win, you lose, you lose. There's been 
other conference championships. This is the third in four years that the Red Raiders have won, but they've had a little cushion. Either walking into the weekend or certainly walking into the last game, things are a little bit more certain. But this one, it was a winner-take-all, and that's a little bit, well, it was a winner-take-all from the Red Raiders' side, and that was just a little bit different. So an unusual situation to say the least, but Texas Tech walks in and looks really great all throughout. So on Saturday, you give the ball to Bryce Bonin for the start. He goes five innings pitched, four hits. He gives up two runs. He has two walks, seven Ks in his 88 pitches. He really did do a nice job, and he struck out the side in the first and the second inning. He struck out six in a row before a ball even was put into play at all, and that was a ground out. Bryce Bonin was really feeling it. He was throwing gas. And then you see Taylor Floyd again in relief. He throws three innings of one-hit, one-run baseball. He had a walk and also had seven Ks matching Bonin's. Really looked good out there. Floyd has just been money. His slider is plus, if not plus plus. It was really working. And when you have great fastball location, then that off-speed stuff really will get guys out ahead of balls. So, I mean, Taylor Floyd really looked nice. Dane Havman came in and closed that one out with an inning as well. As far as the game goes, you start the day honoring your only senior, Cameron Warren. Always a smile out there. Always a lot of fun sitting by first base and interacting with Cam. He's a great guy over there, and he really had a nice, nice day for the Red Raiders. Cam actually ended up going three for five on the day. He had three runs scored. He hit his third triple of his career. I think it was the second of the season for him. Cam just really looked good out there, made some nice defensive plays as well, had some fun base running. It's fun to see him get get pumping. It was it was good stuff. Kurt Wilson showed him up a little bit. Cam was rounding around and coming home, and Kurt Wilson came up almost close enough to touch him. So that was pretty funny to watch as, as those guys were having some fun out there. It was a nice day for Dylan Noisy as well, two for four with two RBI and a walk for Noisy. Just good to see folks get going. If there was one player that had an off weekend, it was Josh Young, did not have a great weekend at the plate. and I know he was frustrated because a lot of his hits were sharply hit balls, but he was hitting into double plays fairly often, and that will wear you out in a hurry. So I'm sure he'll find a way to get right. He's been looking pretty good, but that was a frustrating one for him, I'm sure. The Red Raiders overall hit 314 on Saturday. They hit 300 with two outs, which was very nice to see. Hit 286 with runners in scoring position. Hit 750 in the leadoff. You really enjoyed seeing that. And they hit 533 when they had advancement opportunities. Hit really well again against left-handed pitching. That's going to serve them well in the future as they head on into the offseason. Definitely love seeing them jump on folks early, leadoff hitters getting on or leadoff home runs like we saw from Gabe Holt on Friday night. Red Raiders are definitely looking good, continuing to play well at the right time of the season. It was scoreless in the first in that game. Red Raiders held TCU scoreless in the top of the second, but they played a two in the bottom of the second. Cameron Warren singled, and then he advanced to second on an error by the pitcher who overthrew first base. Warren had to round pretty wide as he advanced up to second. He ended up outside the bag and had to slide a little bit awkwardly and ended up kind of in a first baseman stretch with his left foot on the bag, but he was safe. Cole Stilwell followed him with a walk, and then after two strikeouts, Braxton Fulford singles into right field, and that ends up being a two-RBI single for him, scoring Stillwell and Warren. That's plating those two. Really a nice hit there by Fulford to loop it out there and get his guys home. In the third, you give up 
two to TCU, which ties the game, and you're held scoreless, but you hold them down and hang a zero in the top of the fourth, and then the Red Raiders hop back up again and get some things going. Cam Warren again singles to center field in the leadoff, and then he advances to second on a wild pitch. After a strikeout, Kurt Wilson walks, and you have a one-out opportunity. So Parker Kelly reaches on a fielder's choice with one out, but there is no out on the play. Kurt Wilson goes to second. Cameron Warren ends up advanced to third on an E5, and so everyone's safe. Bases are juiced with one out, and Braxton Fulford comes up big again. He singles to left field for two RBI. So so you got Cameron Warren and Kurt Wilson coming home. That's the play I was talking about. Parker Kelly goes to second. Gabe Holt hits into a fielder's choice, and you have Braxton Fulford out at second, Parker Kelly on third. You end up with runners on the corners there. And then Dylan Noisy comes up big, single up the middle. That scores. Parker Kelly moves Gabe Holt around, and then you end up with a line out to end the inning. So you hang three in the fourth. You go into the fifth. You hang a zero on TCU, and then you hang another You hang another run up on the board in the fifth inning. Josh Young has a leadoff walk and advances to second on a wild pitch. He moves around to third on a Cam Warren flyout, then Cold Stillwell with a great double down the left field line, scoring Young. Really a nice job there by Stillwell. It was a, it was not only a good hit, but the left fielder tried to wait on it as it careened off the wall, but it died against that padded wall net that goes down the left field side, and he ended up having to run in to get it, allowing those extra bases. You give up one run in the top of the six and hang a zero in the bottom. You hang a zero on... TCU in the top of the seventh, and then you plate another there. Parker Kelly leads off of the walk after Jared Janzek is pulled. I can tell you that, oh, how the mighty have fallen when it comes to Janzek. He has the worst ERA in the TCU bullpen this season. Really surprising to see from a guy that used to be so dominant. So Parker Kelly with a leadoff walk. Braxton Fulford then walks. Gabe Holt singles to third base on a bunt, which he legs out. So the bases are juiced. You have another pitch and change. And then Dylan Noisy has an RBI walk moving folks around. And you end the inning with a strikeout and then a double play. And you hang your final run in the eighth. Cameron Warren, once again, a leadoff triple to center field. Man, he really got cranking to get around to third. He was there in plenty of time as the ball was cut off. Nicely done by Cameron Warren. And then Kurt Wilson grounds out to third base, but that's an RBI there. It scores Cam. He got a nice standing ovation there as he came off the field. Last time in the regular season that Cameron Warren comes around and touches that plate. Of course, you'll be hosting a regional and hopefully hosting a super regional as you're in strong contention for a top eight national seed. And you allow one in the ninth, but that game is over. And the Red Raiders ultimately win at 8-4. to four. They out-hit TCU 11-7. to seven. TCU with three errors on the night. Texas Tech leaves 13 stranded, but that means you're getting a bunch of guys out there as well. And it ends up being a Big 12 championship. Celebration at home plate at Danlaw Field at Rip Griffin Park. Third time in four years that the Red Raiders have won the Big 12 regular season title. You finished the season with 13 out of, out of your last 15 as W's. That's the first time you've done something like that since winning 15 in a row at the end of the 2002 season. You've outscored your competition 121 to 62 over that stretch of 13 of 15. And you went, finished Big 12 play with four straight series wins, winning 10 of your last 11 in conference. Red Raiders have really been strong since making those defensive moves of 
Josh Young to shortstop, and you started seeing Kurt Wilson in left field. Really has looked good for the Red Raiders. Braxton Fulford in that Saturday game, two for four with a walk and four RBI. That's a career high for him. It's his 13th multi-hit game of the season. Just a guy that, as a catcher, you are so happy to see him produce like that at the plate. He had a tough night in one regard on Thursday when he got crossed up and fell and missed completing a strikeout. But one little mistake like that surely didn't define his game because Braxton Fulford gunned four base runners down in that Thursday night game. He was absolutely money from behind the dish. He does a fantastic job back there. Cameron Warren, as I said, three for five with a triple and two runs scored. It's his second triple this season. It's his eighth game with more than three hits. Really A nice job by him. Gabe Holt was one for five. So he's got 71 hits. That's leading the Big 12 in the regular season. He's fourth in the Texas Tech record book with 41 hits in Big 12 play. And he's reached safely in 47 of his 49 games in the regular season. Of course, Gabe Holt did miss a couple games with a little bit of injury early in the season. Dylan Noisy, two for four with a walk and two RBI. That's his 23rd multi-hit game. Finishing the regular season with the team lead, he has... 13 multi-RBI games. That's third on the team as well. Just a really nice night all the way around. You had good pitching once again. Saw Taylor Floyd come in in relief again, as we talked about, doing a nice job. Saw him twice over the weekend. But Red Raiders just really looking how they need to look right now. Not a lot of information yet as I record this on Sunday about the Big 12 tournament. Of course, generally not something you place a lot of focus on, but we will talk a little bit here about what you may need to do. So my feeling is if you had swept this weekend, won the Big 12 conference, you probably were set for the top eight national seed. Losing the Thursday night game, you still win the conference, but I think you may need to win a game, get yourself to the weekend in uh, the Big 12 tournament just to solidify that for you. Those around you that I've talked about before, Georgia Tech, Louisville, they did lose uh, one game out of their weekend. Georgia Tech was playing Pitt, the worst team in the ACC. They did drop one of those. Florida State did jump up and bite Louisville in one game. You really wish that one of those could have grabbed a series. East Carolina was another one that there could potentially be some movement on. But I think the Red Raiders have a really solid resume. Their RPI dropped a little bit with the Thursday loss down to 11. But I think you'll see it rebound. Warren Nolan still has them at 9 in the RPI, which is unchanged. I think it's a tough thing for a committee to sit there and say the regular season conference champion unshared of the number two RPI conference. I feel like that's a national seed team. When you look at their body of work that we've talked about as far as wins versus top 25, top 50, top 100, quadrant one wins, all that kind of stuff, strength of schedule, there's really no contest. And if there's one thing that you can point to and say, okay, the Red Raiders really do have domination in this particular category. When you look at Louisville and really Arkansas as well, Texas Tech has an RPI of 9 with a strength of schedule of 12. Their non-conference RPI is 16, and their non-conference strength of schedule is 17. When you look at Louisville, who has been projected around them in that national seed conversation, an RPI of 7, a strength of schedule of 27, that's fairly comparable. 
a non-conference RPI of 21 and a non-conference strength of schedule of 119. Arkansas's non-conference strength of schedule of 158 and that non-conference RPI 43. So you can start to nitpick and look at some things and you feel like, hey, there's some some gaps in who these teams have been playing that could be a differentiator for the Red Raiders. So it'll be interesting to see. You'll have Selection Monday coming up after the Big 12 tournament and then you'll know for sure. But Coach Tadlock seemed to feel confident that the committee would make the right decision, and but he also acknowledged that it's fairly knotted up. It's one of those years that you're not exactly sure how it's all going to go. Well, there's one final thing that we'll have coming up here as we look ahead to what's coming next for the postseason. The Big 12 Player of the Year race is, in my opinion, pretty tight, and it's tight between two Red Raiders, between Cameron Warren and Josh Young. They both have really had fantastic seasons. Cam Warren hitting for power, leading the conference. Josh Young doing really well in some statistical categories as well. So I wanted to run down some of those, tell you where the team stands and then where Cam and others stand as well. As far as batting average, the Red Raiders are second in the Big 12. Cam is second in the Big 12 as well with a 354. Brian Klein's fifth with a 342. And Josh Young is seventh with a 333. Red Raiders are first in scoring in the Big 12. They're also first in runs scored. Dylan Noisy is first in that category with 54. Cam second with 51. Josh Young third with 49. Not a bad place to be with the top three in the conference scoring runs. Texas Tech second in hits. Gabe Holt leads that category with 71 hits on the season. Brian Klein third with 68. Cameron Warren fourth with 67. The Red Raiders lead the league in doubles. Josh Young second on that list with 20. Brian Klein's tied for seventh at 16. Dylan Noisy continues to lead the conference in triples. He has six on the season. The team is second in triples. Red Raiders third in the Big 12 in home runs. Cam is second in that category with 13. Josh is tied for seventh with nine. Red Raiders are third in slugging percentage. Cam is second with a 667. Josh fifth with a 597. And Dylan Noisy tenth with a 554. Red Raiders lead the league in walks. Josh Young second with 46. Dylan Noisy fourth with 40. And Brian Klein tied for sixth with 39. Red Raiders also lead in on-base percentage. Josh Young is second with 471. Cam is fifth with 448. Noisy seventh with 441. And Brian Klein rounds it out at eighth with a 440. As far as OPS, Cameron Warren is second in the league with a 1.16 OPS. Josh is third with a 1.07. And Dylan Noisy seventh with a 995. Red Raiders are second in the league with sacrifice flies. Brian Klein is strong in that category. Double plays, they're second as well. And then stolen bases, third in the conference. Gabriel Holt is first with 25 stolen bases. Dylan Noisy is sixth with 16. Holt's been caught three times, Noisy only once, but definitely have been prolific on the base paths. But there's a lot more to stealing bases than just speed, so that speaks a lot to their baseball IQ and their ability to read pitchers. That's really some strong numbers. So as you can see... Cameron Warren and Josh Young neck and neck in some categories, Cam outshining in others. I think a lot of folks would definitely look at batting average as a big indicator. You look at home run numbers, and then Cam is absolutely untouched in the final category I haven't mentioned. Cameron Warren leads the league with 65 RBI this season. He is ninth in the country. 
Josh Young is second in the Big 12 with 49, and he is 108th in the country. So when you look down the body of work and you think, okay, Cameron Warren, slugging percentage, he's the leader in the conference. RBI, leader in the conference, top 10 in the nation. Batting average, second in the conference. Home runs, second in the conference. I mean, it's hard to argue that it really sounds like Cameron Warren is your Big 12 player of the year. I don't know who the other answer is. If there's someone else, I would be surprised. Now, it's no secret Josh Young is going to be getting more publicity than Cameron Warren. He is still going to be a first-round draft pick. He's made a defensive change from third base to shortstop. I think if there's one thing working against Cam, it's his position as a first baseman, classically not the most difficult position on the field, but certainly an important one that he's played very well. But there's an argument to be made multiple ways. I certainly feel like, in my mind, sitting there watching these games and seeing these guys play, particularly this weekend where Josh Young struggled pretty mightily, I think that Cameron Warren is your Big 12 Player of the Year. I think if it's not one of those two, then it is absolutely a travesty to rob Texas Tech and these players of that opportunity. I think you could have made a strong case last season for Josh Young being Big 12 Player of the Year over Clemens from Texas. And I certainly think this season you can make a case for Cam or Josh. I feel like Cameron Warren is the one that is most deserving, but I don't think you can make a case for anybody else in the conference being the Big 12 Player of the Year. So we'll see how that shakes out. I think Red Raider fans get a little nervous in these situations because we do feel slighted more often than not. But, man, Texas Tech baseball, three Big 12 championships in four years. Texas Tech athletics, four Big 12 championships in the last 84 days. Indoor track, outdoor track, men's basketball, and now baseball, all Big 12 conference champions. Unbelievable. Fantastic by these Red Raiders all the way up and down. Red Raiders softball also in their regional. One game one, lost game two in the 13th inning to LSU. They only play seven innings, by the way, in college softball. Won their next game to stay alive and now head to the championship facing LSU again. Those girls battled. Absolutely battled. I'm not a big softball fan, but when you watch it, man, it's fast-paced. Those fields are small, and they have to be quick. It's a plus play just to get someone out on an infield single. So really, really impressive the way they played out there and the grit they showed, especially how much work their pitchers were putting in. There was a scary moment at the ballpark on Saturday night as a fan did take a line drive foul ball in the face. She was still conscious. It was a, an adult woman, not a child, as we saw last year in the postseason. And she didn't seem okay, but she was awake and was able to be carried out fairly bloody. I think she took it straight in the face. So certainly hope she's doing okay and wish her well. Certainly have seen conversation already on Twitter about if Texas Tech will extend the nets and screens further down. I'm not really a big fan of that idea. I don't want to sit behind screens. I think you kind of have to keep your head on a swivel when you're on that side of the field. However, I do definitely understand if that's a step they take, and I would not be one to speak out against it, but it's not, it wouldn't be my first choice from a viewing perspective, although I do understand the safety element of it, and we've seen some injuries happen, and you hate to see that. But overall... It was a good weekend of baseball, obviously a successful weekend for the Red Raiders. I don't have any other previews for you. We'll find out who the Red Raiders will be playing in the Big 12 tournament coming up soon, and then we'll be looking ahead to Selection Monday and seeing how things are going to go, what the Red Raiders can expect moving forward. So if I don't see you before, we'll see you at a regional here in Lubbock, Texas. Looking forward to it. We'll talk to you again before then, and until then, wreck them. 
Thanks for tuning in to Dinger Derby and sharing our love for Texas Tech Red Raider baseball. You can connect with Keith on Twitter at Dinger underscore Derby and find more Texas Tech sports content at stakingtheplains.com. Help us out by rating us and leaving a review on iTunes. And remember to tell your friends about the show. Keith will be back next week with another episode of Dinger Derby. And until then, wreck of tech. Keep your hand on your gun. Don't you trust anyone. There's just one kind of man that you can trust. That's a dead man or a gringo like me. Be the first one to fire. Every man is a liar. There's just one kind of man who tells the truth. That's a dead man or a gringo like me.